1: morning, it is Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smith, in for Dave, let's hit those horns and go! Coming up on today's show, a new advocacy campaign is calling on the government to fully fund the Canada Disability Benefit. Neil Hetherington from the Daily Bread Food Bank tells you all about it. The tiny home movement has made its way to New Brunswick. Don Dickinson tells you all about the 12 Neighbors Project in her preview of Maclean's Magazine. And can you tell the difference between human and AI-generated voices? Marka Aflalo puts Brock Richardson, Elizabeth Moeller, and myself to the test in a game we're calling real, or fake. All that and more to come on today's show, but we first begin with the top news stories of the day. Canada has announced it is spending $273 million to acquire new military equipment for its NATO mission in Latvia. John Candy crunches the numbers.
2: That includes $227.5 million for a short-range air defense system from SOP, Canada, intended to defend against fixed-wing aircraft, helicopters, drones, and others, as well as $46 million for counter-drone equipment. Defense Minister Bill Blair says it's the first time that the Canadian Armed Forces will have an air defense capability since 2012. He says the equipment is being acquired on an urgent basis and is expected to be delivered later this year.
1: And Canadian manufacturers back home are suing the federal government for more than $5 billion over issues around the production of PPE during the pandemic. Jim Bronskill has the details. The manufacturers say Ottawa misled them about buying and helping sell their products. In
2: a statement of claim filed in federal court, the companies and their industry association alleged the government made negligent misrepresentations that prompted them to invest in personal protection equipment innovations, manufacturing, and production. The companies and their association say the government made misleading statements about markets, direct assistance, flexible procurement, and long-term support over a three-year period that began in March 2020. Jim Bronskill, The Canadian Press, Ottawa.
1: And staying within the world of health, the supply and confidence deal between the federal liberal and NDP parties is in a precarious position over the Pharmacare bill. The main sticking point is how many drugs will be initially covered by the bill. Nicole Reese has more.
3: Two sources with knowledge of the talks say if the parties reach a deal, they plan to begin by launching with a select few drug categories while they continue to formulate a more robust national drug plan. The parties have already agreed to cover birth control through a single-payer program in the first go-around, and they are also in talks to include diabetes drugs in the program. The Liberals must table legislation by March 1st if they hope to keep their political pact with the NDP and secure the opposition party's support on key votes until the next federal election. Nicole Reese, the Canadian Press.
1: And we stay in the world of politics because the debate over carbon pricing continues as the federal government tries to defend its strategy. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo says that action is required to combat the growing impact of climate change.
2: And it bears saying, without Canada's revenue neutral carbon pricing system, the cost to taxpayers and to the Canadian economy to achieve our climate goals
4: would be far greater. Wildfires, floods, droughts, more intense
2: storms, these all come with a substantial cost. In fact, the cost of natural catastrophes in this country has increased by a factor of 10 over the last decade.
1: The Liberals say that more than 80% of families get more from the rebate than they pay in carbon pricing. And one more story for you. Home sales are on the rise across Canada. Michelle Zedekian has the latest numbers.
3: January sales were up 3.7% from a month earlier after seasonal adjustments and up 22% from a year ago when sales were particularly soft. The aggregate benchmark price, which aims to represent price changes of a typical home, was up 0.6% from a year earlier to $717,000. However, the benchmark price fell 1.2% month over month. Price declines recently have been concentrated in Ontario and B.C. CREA says the trends Show the housing market is turning a corner, but still working through the weakness of the last two years. Michelle Zedekian, The Canadian Press.
1: And that's it for the top news stories of the day. It's now time for the daily polls. And we begin with the results from yesterday's poll where I asked you on Valentine's Day, Do you celebrate Valentine's Day? It was a divisive question, yes or no. And you responded in kind. 50% of you said yes. said no. We had some responses on Facebook. Christy wrote in, yes, I try to find a way to celebrate every day. Fair point. uh, Leona commented, lol. Actually, this year I celebrated on New Zealand's February 14th and Canada's, doing a bit of double dipping. And Philippe chimed in, yeah, I will be celebrating the day, even though I don't have someone to love. But I do hope that one day I will have someone to love. Very, very much. Well, thank you all for writing in and sharing your thoughts on the daily poll. Today's daily poll, it has to do with a segment that's going to be coming up later in the show with Marco Aflalo. And it's all about AI generated voices and audio. So I want to find out from you how do you feel about the rise in AI generated voices in content? Good, bad, or indifferent? And you can vote on the poll through Facebook at Accessible Media Inc., through X at Accessible Media. Let's welcome in Elizabeth Moeller and Laura Bain to get their thoughts on this question. Elizabeth, we're going to start with you on this. How do you feel about the rise in AI-generated voices in content?
3: Yeah, you know, I feel I feel optimistic. I guess I would say I feel good. I've noticed a lot of audio description has um, TTS or text-to-speech. Um, and aside from the pronunciation not always being correct, so for the past number of episodes of a show I'm watching, I've been hearing the word tehe, which I've recently discovered is the word the. But I I think from an accessibility perspective, I'm really, I'm really excited. Um, I grew up, I'm aging myself a bit in an era where audiobooks were on tape and they were really hard to come by. And I'm I'm finding there's a lot more AI generated voices reading audiobooks, which is great some are some are better than others. Um you know, certainly I think there's there's um always a place for the human voice, but I'm I'm excited to see where it goes in terms of accessibility um, I know audio description is becoming more and more commonplace and I think if there's a way that that um, AI can help with that obviously not wanting to take away from from jobs of, of human describers shall we say um, that's great I think you know the caution is just the accuracy you know I made a joke about the pronunciation of a word but if it was something a little bit more um, significant and the pronunciation was incorrect or even the word was incorrect I think that's where I'm little bit nervous because that's, people are relying on that information to, to understand what's going on in a particular program. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel good. I'm excited to see where it goes. And, and it certainly has opened up my world just even when I look on Libby, which is our library system, or I look on, um, you know, d- different websites I use for audiobooks, I'm seeing a lot more that are, that are not human read. And, and I'm okay with that because it's opening up the, the opportunity for me to have access to
1: literacy. Well, one quick point, though, you said it's like, oh, it could be more significant. I mean, the is one of the most common words in the English language.
3: (laughs) Yes, it did take some puzzling through for me to figure out what it was. But uh, yeah, I think that that's one concern I have or one caveat for sure is just somebody, a human checking the pronunciation and the accuracy piece as well.
1: And Laura Bain, what about you? How do you feel about the rise of AI-generated voices and content?
5: Yeah, well, I'm definitely not um, indifferent, but I would say that my feelings on it are a little bit ambivalent. Uh, You know, like Elizabeth, I see the accessibility angle and the potential for AI-generated voices to kind of quickly and inexpensively go back and make a whole bunch of content accessible, like thinking about old old shows and movies that Mm -hmm. there's really otherwise no push to make accessible when it comes to things like audiobooks. But on the other hand, I have concerns about the voice Voice actors that that is likely going to put Mm -hmm. out of work, and also that Mm -hmm. some companies specifically have practices of hiring actors with disabilities, for example, to do audio description. And I think you know we we mentioned it a bit there with the that there's also the question of the end product. Um, You know, and I think in some ways I might be a little more irritated by an AI voice than I am with something that's just uh, transparently robotic, like Jaws. And then there's also a discussion to be had around cultural appropriateness of narrators. Um, you know, when I, I think of things like audiobooks and having listened to audiobooks books uh, set in Newfoundland with actors who are not getting those words correct or not saying that, I can say that I've just not been able to listen to things because of sort of uh, the, the, the narrator, in this case a human sort of just not understanding the culture or the way that certain words are said.
1: Well, and this is why I wanted to bring this question forward because I myself am grappling with where I truly stand on it because you both laid out like the key kind of points in my mind. Yeah, it's great in terms of the accessibility. You can rapidly expand the selection of accessible content available. But on the flip side, you take away opportunities from... Uh, Real-life real uh, uh, voice actors or narrators, and ex- uh, as you mentioned, Laura, oftentimes, especially when it's uh, something do in an accessible uh, kind of um, uh, focused area, like uh, closed captioning, like audio description, those jobs are usually uh, kind of filled by folks from the community. So you're, you're potentially are stripping away opportunities for the disability community to, to have... Work, but you also increase the opportunity for more content to be consumed. And I, I think it was also a great uh, uh, point you made about the, the cultural, uh, um, you know, how appropriate it is potentially in, in certain contexts and, and things like that. Especially if you're going to get a narrator that's going to say Newfoundland every single time. I, I think that could drive uh, uh, people a bit uh, kind of up the wall. Yes, Those names, names yes. As, as well. Any any basic thing, even like you look in Toronto, Queen's Key, that's probably going to be K every single time, you know. Uh, so th- obviously things will get kind of worked out and in, in, as this becomes more common and it continues to learn and adapt, there's probably going to be a lot more development in this. But... Um, I I think it will be very hard for anyone to really be indifferent one way or the other. But thank you both very much for chiming in. I appreciate uh, your thoughts on this. We will be checking in with both of you later on in the show. But for now, you at home, you get your chance to chime in. Be sure to vote on the poll at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, at Accessible Media on X. You can also send an email, feedback at ami.ca if you wanna leave a longer uh, comment on the thought and also give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, the tiny home movement has made its way to New Brunswick. Don Dickinson tells you all about the 12 Neighbors Project in her preview of McLean's Magazine. You're watching now with Dave Brown on (music) AMI-tv. Welcome back to now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and streaming and audio at amiplus.ca. I'm Alex Smythe in for Dave. The tiny home movement is growing and it has made its way to New Brunswick. A project called 12 Neighbors is is the focus of the article featured on this week's edition of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. 12 Neighbors offers 240 square foot tiny homes they're made in a massive 8,000-square-foot donated warehouse. Don Dickinson has more on this story, and Don is the content curator for AMI-audio. Hello, Don. How are you doing today?
6: Hi, Alex. I'm very well, thank you.
1: Okay, so, Don, this first article is titled, How, uh, How One Canadian Tech Millionaire Built a Tiny Home Community by Sarah Treleven. Uh, We've talked about tiny homes back in December with the organization, a better tense city, but how does 12 neighbors differ from that initiative?
6: Well, Alex, just to, for a little bit of background, 12 neighbors is a planned community of tiny homes on the North bank of the St. John river. And it's designed um, to get the city's growing unhoused population off the streets. Um, and, uh, and also, with very few strings attached, uh, the miniature town was the brainstorm of Marcel Lebrun, an, a software engineer turned multimillionaire. And the thing that struck me, Alex, more than anything when I was uh, reading this really incredible story is the fact that this this uh, whole project is really one man's focused vision. Uh, he It's really distinguished by the fact that he just decided he was going to do this, and he wanted this kind of no strings attached uh, uh, uh philosophy and he went out and partnered with other people and he just did it you know and it just goes to show um you know like i i started a charity myself 30 years ago it takes an awful lot of work and i think uh you know i i am so in awe of this man
1: well and tell me a bit more about like who is Marcel Lebrun, and, and why did he feel compelled to take on this initiative and, and uh, pursue this philanthropic uh, uh, endeavor?
6: well he's a very unique individual in that he's not really into the whole uh wealth for the sake of wealth he's not into the big yachts and all the rest of it he's not he's not what you would call your musk or your <laughs> bezos kind of guy right he he's very modest he uh, he basically says that you know he was given he, he, his, the quote was, I won the parent lottery, I won the education lottery, I won the country lottery. So he knows what he was given just by, by birth, right? And, you know, that's what I tell my boys. I mean, you were born in a great country and, and you know, you have all the advantages. So he, he takes that philosophy. And so when he made his money, and he made an awful lot of money, Alex, an awful lot of money um he decided that he was going to do something really worthwhile and he wanted to do something obviously for the local community uh and uh th- and this was the the result uh you know he he was a very um you know like he grew up in Cornwall Ontario and he was a you know French Canadian Catholic kid in a small Anglo town he was not you know he had a very Canadian kind of upbringing and he just didn't kind of buy into the you know the big yachts and all the rest of it he wanted to do something with his money that was really meaningful
1: well and and so this article that uh, you are highlighting it, it covers all sorts of angles when it comes to the tiny home movement and you you did bring a clip from the show with you today and in in this section though it, it considers some of the general concerns around tiny homes and, and what they may be so why don't we take a listen
7: Tiny home projects can be controversial as with encampments shelters and safe injection sites local residents and neighbors sometimes worry about an uptick in crime and occasionally a hit to their own property values in hamilton ontario a 25 cabin community planned for the city's north end was nixed last october after sending off vicious infighting and threats of violence among advocates and city residents Others worry that lumping dozens of previously unhoused people into a single identifiable plot of land can lead to further ostracism.
1: And so that was a clip from this week's edition of McLean Magazine, which was read by Michael Wiley. And, John, so there are rules when it comes to the tiny home communities and that uh, folks need to follow, but, like, what are uh, some of these rules and what is being done for their safety?
6: Well, uh, as you heard in the clip, there are many objections, and the great thing about it was that he really took into account these objections long before he decided that he was going to make this a reality. So he, he partnered with a lot of people. He talked to a lot of uh, uh, support uh, kind of um, agencies in the area. And basically, when it came down to it, he wanted a a place where there were few rules. Um, But there are uh, some. Uh, You must be relatively physically independent. Um, There are accessible units, but um, there are obviously much fewer. Uh, You must maintain control over uh, your home and avoid creating an unsafe environment. And when residents expressed concern about safety... uh, LeBron decided that he was going to hire a night guard and install a security gate. So he's one of these guys that's really responsive and he. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He he, he sat down with the local agencies and, and, as I say, the local companies and said, yeah, we know there are objections, as the clip, uh, you know, the audio clip had stated. Uh, um, and he wanted to address all of them, but he wanted to address them in such a way that, you know, right from the start, the community was a success.
1: And so for folks at home who want to learn more about the 12 Neighbors uh, initiative, they can visit 12neighbors.com. That is with the number 12. Don, you had another uh, article from McLean that still stays within the theme of, of housing. And so this next one is all about renovations, specifically when it comes to the city of Hamilton, which has become the first city to enforce an anti-renovictions policy. And for those who don't know, renovations are when the landlord evicts a tenant by claiming they will complete major renovations on the unit. Now, this article did a great job laying out, you know, some of the figures, but what is the state of rentals been like in terms of Hamilton, which is going to be where I'm soon gonna be calling home (laughs) as I I become a renter. What what did the article lay out as the figures?
6: Yeah, well, you really have a personal interest in this, Alex. Um, I thought it was really good to kind of pair these two articles together, you know, to show the the, 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 the sides of the stories, right? I mean, Hamilton has seen astronomical uh, skyrocketing increases in the price of housing, rentals, uh, as well as ownership um, from um Seven hundred on average a month for the one bedroom in two, 2019, all the way up to uh, fifteen hundred by the end of twenty twenty three. Uh, landlords are literally doubling their profits on a monthly basis. So something had to be done.
1: And so, what laws were uh, what laws have been in place within Ontario that allowed a landlord or uh, to perform or claim that they were doing a renovation?
6: Okay, so under Ontario law, renters can move back to the same unit at the same price they were paying before. But many people, and I mean the majority, aren't aware that they can exercise that right. Landlords often then rent out the renovated units at a uh, much higher, um, at newer price, obviously. So really what it is, is it, it's an education on the side of the Pay attention here, Alex, Uh, the (laughs) renter to know that if you do get this uh, dreaded N-13 eviction notice that, um, you know, there there are um, things that the landlord has to abide by.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and that's always uh, the—seems to be the common uh, thing that people aren't aware of, as you mentioned, because oftentimes if this is the case and the landlord then comes to you and says, yeah, you can come back in, but I'm going to charge you more money. So the fact that there are laws on the books that, no, you are allowed to come back to the space at the same price is very important to know. Now, uh, Hamilton City Councilor Narendra Nunn addressed this situation, but how did he do that?
6: Well, NAN partnered with Hamilton's branch of ACORN, okay, and uh, that's an organization advocating for the rights of low-income people and began pushing for an anti-renoviction bylaw modeled after policies already deployed in places like British Columbia. Uh, finally, after five years of advocacy, it passed in January, and under the new bylaw, anyone issued an N-13 will be required to apply. Uh, sorry, anyone issuing meaning the landlord mm-hmm. uh, and n13 will be will required to apply for a renovation permit the application will require landlords to share information about the scope of the work and the number of units involved so in other words it makes landlords uh, more accountable mm-hmm. for what for what they're going to be doing and uh, and that hopefully will uh, help the problem
1: uh, yeah and if nothing else it, it provides clarity and transparency on uh, the the process that they would be undertaking, not that it's just a landlord saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a major renovation when very little ends up being done, and they just try to uh, up the rents on on either their, their former tenants or potentially new tenants. So uh, that's great work. Don, thank you so much uh, for bringing these articles forward. It's always lovely to chat with you. So have yourself a wonderful day.
6: Okay, and and happy relocating in Hamilton. (laughs) Thank
1: you very much, Don. That was Don Dickinson, who is a content curator with AMI-audio. And McLean's Magazine airs uh, weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, a new advocacy campaign is calling on the government to fully fund the Canada Disability Benefit. Neil Hetherington from the Daily Bread Food Bank tells you all about it. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, in for Dave. The frequency of visits to food banks has surged at an unprecedented rate. According to the Daily Daily Bread Food Bank, there has been a 32% increase real Canada in the last year. In Toronto specifically, one-third of food bank clients have a disability or health condition. The organization indicates that financial aid, such as the Canada Disability Benefit, have the potential to alleviate the severity of food insecurity. They have gotten a started a campaign to push the federal government to fund the benefit. Neil Hetherington has more details on this, and Neil is the CEO of the Daily Bread Food Bank. Hello, Neil. How are you today? Good morning, Alex. It's nice to chat with you. It's nice to chat with you as well. So uh, can you talk a bit about some of the specific challenges that folks with disabilities face when accessing not only sufficient food, but also nutritious foods as well?
2: Well, I think the the challenges that they're experiencing, um, they're exacerbated by the fact that uh, the income levels of so many people who uh, have a disability are are suppressed. And you look at anybody who is on the Ontario disability benefit, they are receiving about $1,300 a month. And that's wholly inadequate. And so the Canada Disability Benefit gives us some hope and opportunity for those individuals receiving that much-needed benefit uh, to be able to thrive in community uh, and to have their right to food realized by being able to pay for it themselves versus having to rely on friends, family, and, uh, and charity, which is the case right now.
1: Yeah, and this is uh, certainly something we've talked uh, uh, a lot on our show—not only the disability uh, Canada Disability Benefit, but also uh, the food insecurity and the financial uh, burdens that folks from the community face. You—you you mentioned it. it. Expand a bit more for me, like in terms of the Canada Disability Benefit. How could the uh, fully funding that program? How could that really lift up folks from the community and alleviate that pressure, that stress that they are experiencing right now?
2: Well, the benefit when it was passed into law had a very clear mandate that individuals uh, across the country and about a million who are on uh, disability uh, benefits, whether from private insurance or from uh, provincial plans, uh, needed to get to at least the poverty line, if not the poverty line plus 15%. And so uh, the legislation was clear that it was going to alleviate poverty. And so we've been working very hard uh, alongside a coalition uh, within uh, the disability communities. Uh, It has been uh, a wonderful opportunity for us to hear their stories uh, and to walk alongside them in this journey. And there's about 40 organizations now that have joined in, and more every single week. And what we are saying is that benefit needs to be fully funded. The Canada Disability Benefit needs to move individuals from that $1,300 a month or so to at least the uh, poverty line $2,300. And so uh, so we are giving the opportunity to our government uh, to fully fund it, and we expect that this March that, uh, that Canadians will hear hopefully, good news that it's fully funded. That means about 10 to $12 billion a year at a minimum. Uh, we are concerned that it's not going to be there, but uh, we're going to uh, uh, advocate now uh, to make sure that it is fully funded.
1: Well, and advocacy is, is so important, especially when you, you are supporting a marginalized community and especially one where uh, the voice may not have been heard in, in the past. Can you speak a bit about like what it means to... To take on that that role, to really become an advocate and, and support the disability community, P- putting pressure on the government as a national organization, as you mentioned, there's other organizations that have joined joined the call. Like that, that's got to be a, a big step forward and a, a big push from your organization. Like, what does that mean, and what have you heard from the folks that you do represent in in yeah. joining this this fight and pushing the government?
2: Well, I think your, your use of the word support is the, 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 the right word. Um, we see ourselves as a support. Uh, there are many who have been advocating for years and years and years for the Canada Disability Benefit. Folks like uh, Defend Disability and Disability Without Poverty um, who have taken the lead. And what Daily Bread has simply done is said, how can we provide resourcing to be able to amplify the message, uh, to be able to, whether it's on social media, Or paid media or earned media to be able to make sure that every Canadian knows it's their responsibility uh, to uh, that everyone in community can thrive. Um, And so we want members of parliament to know that uh, uh, this is an opportunity for them to alleviate a situation with a very targeted group uh, that will benefit a million Canadians. So we've been. Uh, very uh, uh, blessed in many ways to be able to walk alongside and support uh, the disability communities across the country.
1: And for folks at home who are are, uh, listening to this interview or or want to get involved, want to lend their support as well, what can they do to help support and and, uh, get involved in in this uh, campaign?
2: Well, we've had about 60,000 letters sent to uh, the Deputy Prime Minister uh, Freeland uh, now, and uh, and we need many, many more. So we're very hopeful that people will go to fundthebenefit.ca. It's as easy as we can possibly make that website, fundthebenefit.ca. In about 25 to 30 seconds, you can send a Member of Parliament uh, your concerns uh, about uh, making sure that it, what is going on is atrocious and that there is hope with the Canada Disability Benefit. We can. All get involved uh, in this and so spreading that word visiting that website joining that coalition of some 40 organizations now and the tens of thousands of people who are behind this campaign and and so my hope is that in Ottawa, uh, this March, that there is an announcement which will result in uh, individuals who are relying on disability benefits uh, to be able to fully thrive in community, uh, to be able to have their right to food realized, to be able to afford at least the basics at the very, very minimum. And so we're going to walk alongside them in that journey and we're going to get this done.
1: Neil, thank you so much for your time. I know you are a very busy person, so I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, and uh, I appreciate all the work you and your organization are doing.
2: Thanks so much, Alex, for amplifying the message. I really appreciate it.
1: That is Neil Hetherington. Neil is the CEO of the Daily Bread Food Bank. And as he mentioned, if you want to get involved in the campaign, fundthebenefit.ca, fund the benefit. Dot ca. In 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller is here with the weather story of the day. But first, here's Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute.
8: Canada's main stock index gained almost 1.5% yesterday on broad-based strength. Toronto's TSX index surged 304 points to close at 20,889. New York's Dow Jones average gained 151 points and the Nasdaq gained 203. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index climbed 454 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.85 cents U.S. Some earnings reports came out from Canadian-based insurance companies last night. Great West Life Co. Inc. says its fourth quarter net earnings were $740 million, up from $452 million during the same quarter a year earlier. Profits from continuing operations were down by more than half for the company's Canada segment. Manulife Financial is reporting a $1.66 billion profit for the quarter ending December 31st, up 81% from the same quarter the year prior. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo,
1: Thank you very much, Karen. It's now time for the Weather Report with Elizabeth Mueller. Elizabeth, you want to kind of rain on my, my parade, or in this case, maybe snow on, on my parade? It's been so dry the last little while in Toronto.
3: Snane on your parade? I don't know <laughs> if snow is a word, but we're going to make it one. Yeah, unfortunately, get ready for some snow in southwestern Ontario. After a few weeks without much snow, that beautiful weather that we had, we are expecting a pretty significant amount of snow today. And this is going to make it difficult to drive or walk, especially in the afternoon because of those strong winds that are going to reduce visibility on our roads. Snow is expected to start falling around midday today in the greater Toronto area. And depending on where you are, we could see anywhere from 5 to 20 centimeters of snow by the end of the day. So just take care if you are traveling today, especially in areas hit hardest by those snow squalls. We are expecting more snow in the coming days as well, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and after the system moves through, we're going to have several days of lake effect snow, which means more blowing snow and potentially dangerous conditions for traveling. The snow is starting in the west this morning and is going to move east throughout the day. By late afternoon, we're going to see snow reaching the greater Toronto area, and by the evening, it'll be in the Ottawa region. Winds are also going to be picking up starting in that southwest and moving into the GTA by the evening evening. And this is maybe going to lead to some power outages in areas that are hit by the strongest winds. The heaviest snowfall is expected around Lake Huron and Georgian Bay with up to 20 centimeters possible. So Alex, I didn't get to do much snowshoeing last year, and I'm hoping that maybe this is the snowfall that gets me out on some snowshoes. What do you think?
1: Oh, I I think that's a pretty good bet, especially if there's upwards of 20 centimetres of snow coming our way. Uh, But it's all a question of not only does it come, but how long it lasts as well. Did you
3: bring your boots, Alex Smythe? Did you bring your boots?
1: Not to Toronto this week. I'm in my nice, uh, slippery uh, running shoes. So (laughs) it's going to be an interesting uh, commute back to the hotel. Elizabeth, thank you so much. I'll check in with you later today. You bet. Okay, that was Elizabeth Moeller at the weather desk. And coming up after the break, Vancouver Sevens is returning this month for their ninth annual rugby event. Community reporter Nathan Clement gives you the scoop. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Alex Smythe. Calling all rugby fans! The ninth annual Vancouver Sevens is returning next week. The event will run over the course of two days at BC uh, at the BC Place Stadium. Community reporter Nathan Clement is in Vancouver and has the details. Hello, Nathan. How's it going? Hello, Alex. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? You know, I can't complain yet. We're supposed to get snow later, but uh, that's for that's for after the show. In the context of uh, now, I am doing just fine. But that's not what we're here to talk about, Nathan. We're here to talk about rugby. So what's so special about the Vancouver Sevens?
4: Uh, the Rugby Sevens, uh, Vancouver's especially, is Canada's lone event of the Rugby Sevens circuit that goes all around the world. And it's just a great weekend of energy, life, and noise as all these great rugby nations come to Vancouver to take part in three days of uh, fast-pack sport. But what's great is as the game is fast on the field, the game's even faster up in the stands. Everyone's wearing colorful costumes (laughs) where often the whole point of the game is to get dressed up, is to be loud, is to be crazy and show your creative side so often there's some fun costumes and even if you're at the event you're going to be seeing uh or you're just walking around downtown vancouver for those days you're going to see people in a lot of weird costumes in the middle of february it will look like halloween a little bit but it's very um it's a great time just to celebrate sport and the energy that sport can bring
1: I I always love that when the fans really get committed and get involved in it and they're not just sitting uh, passively on, on the sidelines or in the stands. So as I mentioned, this is the ninth edition of it. What's new for this year? Uh, really, it's
4: coming in. It's getting bigger. There's more games this year, as well as right now, Argentina's won it the last couple of years in a row, so... It's going to be a big time to see if Canada or another nation can take down the the repeating champions or even possibly who could soon be the three-time champions. So there's a lot of games happening over a jam-packed couple of days. It's going to be longer times. So kickoffs are around 10 a.m. each day in the past. It's been closer to noon. So you got a full day of rugby from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday.
1: Now, you mentioned the costumes already, but what other themes or traditions have been associated with the Vancouver Sevens weekend?
4: Uh, Austin, um, it's been really big on just having people come together. It's very, very huge on the grassroots side of things for bringing uh, different rugby clubs uh, out and really helping grow the Lower Mainlands game, but also throughout the province as well. So it's a huge part of... A lot of uh, Vancouver and um, BC has strong contingencies on the women's and the men's side of uh, Rugby Sevens and Canada's rugby program. So it's a great way of celebrating the grassroots uh, foundations of the sport here in the province and in the city
1: now uh so we what about the actual facility you know it's been housed uh, and hosted at bc place stadium any tips in terms of the accessibility uh kind of considerations folks should have if they plan to attend
4: uh bc place i've i've been fortunate enough to work at bc place uh for a while now and um What's great about BC Place is that there is a ton of accessible entrances, especially coming through the Terry Fox Plaza, as well as um in the stands. There's access in the stadium, there's access to elevators, to ramps, and the ability to get around the 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 atriums, the hallways are quite wide, so they're easy to get around. They're easy to navigate. And uh, the one thing I've really felt every time I've been working at BC Place is the staff are super helpful, super patient, and will always try to help everyone find a way around uh, around the stadium.
1: Well, that's always great to hear. And so if folks do want to find out more, obviously they can visit uh, the uh, sevens uh, website so that's sevens dot uh, van sevens dot com v-a-n the uh the word sevens dot com and you can also email the stadium at uh stadium at bcplace dot com or you can give them a call 604-355-53 3 and so you had another big event that's coming around the corner for vancouver and it's the brazilian carnival in vancouver you're getting your own taste of sao paulo essentially so uh what are some of the activities and some of the performances that are going to be taking place as part of the vancouver carnival
4: so for the vancouver Carnivals happening this weekend uh february 17th And it's all going to be taking place at Granville Island. So there's two uh, major events happening for that day at the Production Works uh, facility over in Granville Island is the family event. So starting in the morning around 11 a.m. until about 4 p.m. is going to be the access for kids to learn about Brazilian culture, but also see samba, see different dance styles and participate in face painting. There's also going to be a carnival uh, costume contest. And that's going to be all for families and all for all ages throughout the morning. Then later on in the evening, starting around nine, there's going to be a massive uh, dance party where there's going to be different music musicians coming in and just a giant celebration of Brazilian culture, and bringing that sun to uh, to a Vancouver winter.
1: I I love that. You have something for the families, for the kids, and then something for the adults later in the evening. Something for everyone. Now, in terms of collaborations or partnerships, who have uh, been a part of the the festivities this year? Uh, The part of the festivities this year is Elements Brazil,
4: as well as La Removida and Van City Jerseys are all taking part in really trying to get Get the clothes out, get gear out, and just create a way that everyone can celebrate this season, but also find a way to grow and build this into multiple years
1: down the line. Oh, that's perfect. And if folks are interested in that event, you can give them a call at 604-566-0999. You can also send an email, plaza at ca, And so that is... Latin, L-A-T-I-N-C-O-U-V-R dot C-A. You can also visit latincouver.ca, spelt the same way. You had one more uh, uh, event you wanted to highlight, Nathan, and this is to do with the Invictus Games. They're a year away, and the city of Vancouver is gearing up for one of the biggest events in adaptive sports, as they will be hosting unconquered sports day on february 19th so what is the significance of unconquered sports day what does it represent
4: Uh, unconquered sports day is a celebration of adaptive sport first off but also as you said one year till the invictus games comes to vancouver and whistler so this will be about the sixth or seventh edition of the invictus games but this is going to be the first winter games for invictus so This time next year, there's going to be tons of adaptive sports all across the Sea to Sky region, primarily at the uh, Unconquered Sports Day. It's going to be happening at the Seaforth Academy right by the Burrard Bridge and right by the old Molson Brewing uh, Factory. But they're going to be celebrating uh, sitting volleyball, uh, indoor rowing, um, wheelchair curling, and multiple other sports and just trying to show everyone what the power of sport can do, but also bringing that attention and just bring people into this amazing world of para and adapted sports.
1: And the thing with the Invictus Games is they they just transcend beyond just para and adaptive sport as well. There, there's other significance to it. Can you talk a bit more about the significance of the Invictus Games? Yes.
4: Uh, the Invictus Games, the celebration of people uh, who've been in service for, the, for their militaries or their home nations and just the celebration of sport and overcoming obstacles and overcoming life's adversity. So it's a great celebration of togetherness and just the power of the human movement, human brain and the human heart all coming together. Oh, this is
1: perfect. Nathan, thank you so much for for bringing these topics forward and uh, have yourself a wonderful day. We will be hearing a bit later from you in the show when it comes to uh, the uh, adaptive sports, the parasport update. But for now, I bid you adieu. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Nathan Clement. And for more information on the Invictus Games or Unconquered Sports Day, you can email info at InvictusGames2025.ca, or you can visit their website, InvictusGames2025.ca. In one minute, Laura Bain will be here with your entertainment report, but first... If the search for love is not going well on, through the free dating apps, there may be another alternative out there, but it's going to be quite costly. Mike Debusky has tech trends for you.
9: From ABC News Tech Trends, how much would you pay to match with the right person on a dating app? Or to put it another way, what's the price of finding love? Nico Shkreli is the founder of Shivy, as in chivalrous. It's an app aimed at matching young professionals complete with a selfie check system intended to cut down on scams and bad actors. The price, 149 bucks a month. We're not
4: really trying to you know, price, get, price gouge our customers or anyone. We just think it's a fair number that makes sure that our customers do have serious intentions and
9: the skin of the game. Chivi is not alone in the ultra expensive dating app market. Last year Tinder introduced Tinder Select. It's a $499 monthly subscription service. Other more exclusive apps like The League and Raya require an invite to join and can run into the thousands of dollars. Americans spent more than 200 million dollars on dating apps last month alone, outpaced only by spending on streaming apps like Netflix. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Debuski, ABC News
1: hundred and fifty dollars is not price-catching. Uh, well, to each their own, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. But enough of that. It's now time for the Entertainment Report with Laura Bain. Laura, the conversation around the Super Bowl continues. Uh, what story did you want to bring forward today?
5: Yeah, you know, sort of as folks digest what happened during the broadcast, there's a few stories that are really sticking with me. And the first one I wanted to bring forward is uh, deaf actor Marley Matlin calling out CBS for failing to show its ASL performers on the main broadcast. So for folks who weren't aware, I wasn't aware, for about 30 years, the Super Bowl has included ASL performers during the pregame and halftime shows. For example, this year, CODA actor Daniel Durant performed the national anthem in ASL alongside Reba McIntyre. He was introduced on the main broadcast, but then he wasn't shown at all. Uh, CBS did make a separate link available where people could stream a version of the broadcast with ASL, but it's no longer available. I did go and try this morning. It doesn't take you anywhere. Um, Now, Alex, you'll notice that I'm using the word performer and not interpreter, Mm -hmm. and that's because these really are performances of the music with ASL performers dancing and expressing the music through their bodies. Uh, if folks go to YouTube and just search Super Bowl ASL, they can see some of this, and it's it's really very beautiful. But you know, my thoughts on this is that it's a real missed opportunity, and why not show it in in, in its entirety alongside the vocal performance in order to create a universal design broadcast? But what are your thoughts on this?
1: I I think just the in in general, the NFL and and you know the this traditional broadcasts have always a bit been a bit behind on, on the times in many different aspects, especially when it comes to things like the performances, the anthems, all those types of aspects that they've really struggled to effectively grasp with how to address uh, a kind of proper representation. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that they're, they've been called out for, you know, not really uh, highlighting ASL, but I think in general when it comes to sporting events, when it comes to performances, everyone could do a much better job when it comes to representation, whether it's through ASL, whether it's through, you know, closed captioning, whether it's, uh, you know, alternative uh, uh, language broadcasts that would be available. Like, I I think, you know, you need to be able to treat it like you do with uh, uh, another language, you, you often have heard, oh, well, here is the uh, uh, the Spanish language broadcast. Or, you know, when it comes to hockey, it's like, oh, well, here is the—we uh, have the Punjabi language uh, broadcast, things like that. But there are other options available. I think these broadcasters are making so much money that— you you could probably you know uh you could you could put together another feed another of uh, like broadcast uh, um channel that you could have the super bowl the biggest event of the year the most watched uh, tv event ever on another kind of outlet or stream that you could allow that has interpretation
10: on it
5: right um well you know i'm glad they're being called out. Marley Matlin is a, is, a, is a big name. And uh, as I say, my hope would be they would do better next year and I would like to see it on the main broadcast. Uh, but the other story that kind of has my attention this uh, this morning and for the last couple of days I've been mulling it over is uh, the pitch correction of Alicia Keys' voice in official videos of her halftime performance. And I have a clip for us to listen to just as a reminder of the performance she did as one of Usher's guests. So let's give that a listen. I know
6: It's the only way we know how to rock. It's the we were You another brother's over doing.
1: So for me it, it 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 sounds okay. now, in fairness, Laura, i I've never been one to be able to truly tell pitch. that's part of the the issue living with with hearing loss. but uh, clearly some folks at CBS and and the performers say they felt differently.
5: Okay, so that was just to be clear, that was a bit of a reminder of the halftime show. We didn't have audio available to us of the actual note in question. Mm -hmm. But the note in question is right off the top of her performance when she goes into If I Ain't Got You, a big beautiful song. And kind of the day after the Super Bowl, I had heard some buzz online about her missing this note off the top. So I went back and I listened. I listened to it a couple times and I thought, no, I think she sounds on point. I don't get what people are talking about. Well, that's because it was fixed after the uh, after the fact. And this in and of itself has generated some controversy over the last few days. So, um, you know, my opinion on it, I don't like that it was pitch corrected. You know, a few weeks ago, I brought a story to the Entertainment Report about the greatest night in pop the documentary and how much I was struck by these sort of big musicians getting to hear them missing notes and sort of struggling as they worked through this song and as they did that process. And I guess I just worry, this kind of speaks to me that we have a culture that really demands perfection. And, you know, we can't achieve perfection, but now we can sort of mimic perfection after the fact using AI-generated tools. And mm-hmm you know, for myself, I think it's healthy, especially for young people to see the people that they idolize being human, missing a note. It happens, you know, it's okay. And uh, I also think there's a bit of a concerning element of rewriting history here where everyone who was at the Super Bowl or watching watching it live thinks, I heard one thing and then they go back to the, uh, you know, official video and they think, well, did I hear that? You know, why does this sound different? But, On the other hand, I get it. The internet was not kind to Alicia Keys the morning after the Super Bowl about her missing that note, unfortunately. And that's why a lot of performers use lip syncing because it is not possible to achieve achieve perfection during a live performance. I personally am all about hearing those imperfections. I think that's authentic and I, I like it better. But what about you, Alex? Do you have an issue with them altering the audio after the fact or do you think that's just par for the course?
1: So... I will say that I am not surprised in the least that they do it. As you mentioned, performers in the past, they've used lip sync. They've used other kind of means to really uh, kind of address performance issues. Because the thing is, trying to perform at a Super Bowl halftime is an inherently difficult Challenge, let alone from an audio perspective you're literally setting up a stage in about 10 minutes and then you have to get on there perform and then have to get off stage it is not an ideal space or situation for a performer at the best of times um i i don't like the idea of uh, uh, and i agree with you it's essentially rewriting history but i'm i'm not surprised because it just goes to show the performance is never about the halftime show is never about the performance itself and that—that's really kind of the takeaways. Is, well, they don't really care about you know the performer and, and what they're actually doing. No, we'll just we'll fix it in post essentially to take a, a TV uh, term out of it. It's like yeah, we'll just drop the audio. We we upload the video on on YouTube or, or on online. That's going to be the one that's remembered going forward. And yeah, it really doesn't. At, at a certain point, you kind of question why do we even have a halftime show. In at all, especially if you're not getting authentic performances. So, it's sad. It's a bit frustrating, but it's not surprising. So that's where I land on it, Laura. Uh, thank you so much for for bringing these uh, topic forward, and uh, we'll we'll chat again soon. Have yourself a wonderful day.
5: I think we'll chat tomorrow, Alex. Thanks. Yes. You have a, a good rest of your day.
1: <laughs> you too. That was Laura Bain at, uh, with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, I got the regional news update, and Brock Richardson is here for a sports chat. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
11: the only way we know how to rock
1: Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Come to you on AMI TV and also streaming on AMIPlus.ca in audio. I'm Alex Smith in for Dave Brown. It's Thursday, February 15, 2024. Coming up on the second hour of the show, can you tell the difference between human and AI-generated voices? Marco Fallo, Putz Brock, Richardson, Elizabeth Moeller, and myself to test in a game of real or fake, and the Marvels dropped on a Disney Plus this month. It is the 33rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Have audiences reached genre fatigue? Entertainment critic, Michael McNeely, weighs in with his thoughts. But first, we begin with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, B.C. Premier David Eby announced more than $80 million in funding to upgrade Abbotsford's Barrowtown Pump Station. This funding will help provide the Fraser Valley from flooding events like the one that happened in 2021.
2: These memories are all too fresh for uh, people in this area. You know, the the breaching of the dike, the water pouring in... Uh, the threat to the pump station, the impact to farmers around here, uh, the thousands of families uh,
0: that were affected, um, the roads and bridges being washed out.
1: Five people died from a landslide caused by the flooding. Staying in British Columbia, the province is feeling other impacts of the environment as cherry producers say it could be one of the worst growing seasons in recent memory due to the unstable weather in the region. Terry Theodore has more.
6: Temperatures dipped as low as minus 31 in mid-January. And after a warm stretch of weather, the cherry buds didn't have time to protect themselves. Paul Bal of the BC Cherry Association says had it been cold before the polar vortex, damage likely would have been minimal.
1: It's just kind of that perfect storm for,
4: for damage to happen when it's uh, warm before and cold afterwards.
6: Cherry buds collected since the freeze show it will impact the BC crop more than any other time in the industry. Terry Theodore, The Canadian Press.
1: Over to Ontario now, the Royal Ontario Museum is getting a redesign, and the good news is that it will include a space that is free for everyone to enjoy. Brenda Molina Navidad has the details.
5: The museum will redesign nearly 8,000 square meters of its first floor, including the entrance. It will also add about 550 square meters of gallery space on the floor. The director of the ROM says the museum won't require tickets to access that portion of the building as part of its commitment to accessibility. And there will also be regular performances in the space. The initiative expands on a pilot project launched in 2018. Brenda Molina Navidad. The Canadian Press, Toronto.
1: And that's it for the regional news. It's now time for the Sports Report with Brock Richardson. Before I welcome in Brock, I want to share one story with you. So, Kansas City Super Bowl parade turned from joy to tragedy as gunfire erupted at the end of the parade. Ben Thomas has more. Kansas City's fire chief says 22 people were shot when gunfire erupted at the end of the Chiefs' Super Bowl parade. Stephanie Meyer at Children's Mercy Kansas City says they treated a dozen patients.
0: Eleven of
3: which are children with nine gunshot wounds.
9: Those children between the ages of six and 15.
3: All of those patients we expect to have a full recovery, none of which are in critical condition.
9: As for their emotional state.
3: Fear. The one word I would just use to describe what we saw and how they felt when they came to
1: us was fear. That sound courtesy KNBC radio station KKFI says its DJ Lisa Lopez Galvan, host of Taste of Tejano,
9: was killed in the shooting. The Chiefs' trainer says players and coaches were on buses at the time, returning to Arrowhead Stadium. I'm Ben Thomas.
1: So let's turn to some lighter fare around the world of sports and celebrate the career of one of Canada's greatest curlers. So. Brock Richardson, it was a pretty big story that came out that Jennifer Jones, who is one of the top female curlers in the country, is retiring.
11: Yeah, uh, this is something of a... uh, I I will say it's a bit of a surprise to me, only because um, she did begin this uh, four-year cycle after the last uh, Winter Olympics, which usually indicates that they're going to stick around for another uh, four-year cycle. Obviously, this is not the case. Uh, given that this is only year number two into the cycle, uh, Jennifer Jones is quite frankly the um epitome of curling. When you think of curling, you think of Jennifer Jones. There's obviously names like Colleen Jones, Carrie Anderson is is bringing herself up there, going for uh four in a row now. Uh, I believe it is for the Scotties. It's just unbelievable the the impact that this woman has had not only on herself but on others around the game so just to hear that and see that it's uh it's very very uh good and i heard reports and i'm not exactly sure who who uh colleen jones is uh, coaching uh this time around but jennifer jones game uh first game of the tournament is uh against colleen jones team that she is coaching so it's kind of ironic that both individuals have Six Scotties and uh, they're they're competing against each other in the first game. So pretty pretty cool history could could happen here. The other thing I'd say, Alex, is it's not clear as to if she wins the Scotties championship, whether she'll go to uh, to 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 the World Championships with the with the winning team. We just know that this is her last Scotties uh, at this point, so she will not return next year. But if she wins, we don't know for sure whether she will go to Worlds or not. So that kind of remains to be seen as we sit here.
1: Uh, Yeah. And then what's also interesting, too, it's not a blanket retirement from curling overall, because uh, from what I've been able to gather, she is uh, still planning to um, uh, compete in mixed doubles with her husband. But this is a a retirement from the women's team. And so I I think, yeah, there's nothing but uh, praise that can be Heaped upon her for you know all she has accomplished in uh, the sport of curling and, and helping push the women's game forward and and into more of a national spotlight. It it is a bit surprising in in the sense too because curling it's always a tough one because even like fifteen twenty years ago it was seen as a much older person's game, but you've seen the rise of younger top-level athletes really start to kind of take center stage and, and become more prominent, that uh, Jennifer Jones is only 49, and you could argue there could still be plenty of, of game left with her if she wanted to continue. But I, I think part of that is it's the evolution of the game from when she started to where, where we are now. And I think when you look at the situation
11: you alluded to with keeping into mixed doubles with her husband, uh, Brent Brent Lang, I think that's something where you can say, okay, this is sort of still, this way I can sort of do things with my husband and still kind of keep myself in um, in the game. I wouldn't be surprised remotely. Alex, if she ends up um, coming in the broadcast booth with uh, TSN, and I, I mean absolutely no disrespect at all to, to what I'm about to say here, but Russ Howard, who's been on the broadcast, uh, Kathy Gauthier and... Um, Uh, Vic Router, they are all getting up towards that sort of retirement age so TSN is going to have to fill the void and to me Jennifer Jones is a person where I could say yeah I could see her being in the broadcast booth but right now she's kind of stepping away but also saying I'm still going to be involved she could also coach quite frankly and I think that's you know that that's where we could be so lots of doors could open for Jennifer Jones but really well-deserved career and retirement. Multiple medalists, as I mentioned, the six-time Scotty Championship, and she's won Olympic gold medals. It's she just she she speaks to the success of the game of curling for
1: sure. She is a winner for sure. Now speaking of broadcasting and broadcasters, Brock, uh, you, you came across a uh, a new first when it comes to baseball in the Oakland A's. Yes,
11: so they are hiring uh, Jenny carvener uh and she's going to be their primary voice uh for the oakland a's which is the first time in history this will happen this is pretty uh remarkable it's a good thing that we're going to see this we've seen uh women be involved in color commentary um things like that and sideline reporting but to have her be the main voice is something that's really really cool and so wish her nothing but the best and i don't and i think this is going to be the first of many scenarios where you're going to see women step up and be that lead voice for the broadcast
1: oh and what's interesting already because uh with oak uh with the oakland athletics they've already have a female pa announcer in amelia uh Schimmel. so this is just kind of adding to getting more female voices in in the the world of professional baseball which you know, there hasn't been that presence before. So it, it it's very much a welcome change and it's great to see that a team is really kind of pushing forth and taking that initiative to take those steps.
11: Somebody's gotta take the first step, Alex. And it's 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 nice to see that somebody, you know, I don't I don't wanna say this to be, you know, it's nice to say that somebody sticks their neck out in a positive way and says we support this, and we're gonna build on our already existing great platform. So I look forward to, uh, to to listening to her do some broadcasts. I have luxury of having MLB Extra Innings in the summertime, so I'm gonna tune into some Oakland Athletics game purely just to be supportive of this
1: groundbreaking change in the sport. So I love it. Great, and Brock, thank you so much for bringing these stories forward. But you don't get to go anywhere. Because you're going to be appearing on the next segment with myself, Elizabeth Moeller, and Mark Afvaldo, because we are talking all about AI-generated voices. And for you at home, that is also the subject of the Daily Poll, where I'm asking you, how do you feel about the rise of AI-generated voices in content? Good? Bad? or indifferent, and you can vote on the poll uh, through Facebook, at Accessible Media Inc., through X, at Accessible Media. But stick around, because after the break, Mark and Flalo are going to put the three of us to the test to see if we can determine the difference between AI and real voices. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on Mm AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Alex Smythe in for Dave. With the increase in artificial intelligence, it's becoming more of a challenge for people to distinguish what is a human voice and what's an AI generated voice. On a recent episode of Access Tech Live, Mark Afalo played some audiobook clips and had his team share their guesses. Well, Mark decided, you know, that was so much fun. Why don't we try that again on our show? So Mark is going to do the same thing with a panel of NOW uh, folks, including myself, Elizabeth Moeller, and Brock Richardson. So let's welcome everyone back in. Elizabeth, hello again. Thank you for rejoining.
3: Not a problem. Happy to be here and play along and have some guesses.
1: Brock Richardson, thank you for uh, getting out of your comfort zone with sports and talking about audiobooks and, and no, AI-generated voices? No problem. And Mark Aflalo, hello, no, no, no. welcome. <laughs> I don't know whether or not I should thank you for putting this forward, yet uh, I, I think I will <laughs> reserve my ju- judgment until after we finish playing. But Mark, like, how did the panel do on Access Tech Live when it came Oof. to discerning whether the voices were artificial intelligence or if they were human?
7: Not a a great job. Uh, They actually were, I would say, split down the middle, but not even. Most of them got it all wrong. And the fun part about this is not only, of course, the panel, but everybody behind the scenes who are going to be playing along with this and people at home watching. So this is going to be a fun experiment, and I promise we don't hold any grudges afterwards. This is just all in good fun.
1: Fair enough. Mark, I'm handing the reins over to you. Take it away.
7: So here's how this is going to work, lady and uh, gentlemen. We are going to be playing a series of clips. This is a fictional story that I created and had recorded by either humans or AI. Uh after each clip, we're going to give you each an opportunity to guess whether it's human or AI, but I'm not going to tell you the answer until the very end that way the suspense is building. So, everybody ready? Let's do it. We're ready. Okay. Let's do it. Here is clip number 1. We'll call him Jason.
9: Once upon a time in a lush green meadow, there lived a bird named Alex. Alex was a free spirit, soaring high in the sky, singing sweet melodies. One day, while flying over a farm, Alex spotted
1: a chicken named Dave. Hmm. Okay, who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll, I'll take the first guest. You know, it's my my name is in the story. I'm spotting a chicken How named Dave. Convenient, it. there, isn't it? I I think this one is AI generated. Okay, Elizabeth.
3: I'm going to say this one is Jason-generated, person-generated.
1: Okay, human.
7: And uh, Brock? I'm going to go with human as well. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Is Cindy. Let's play that clip.
12: Dave was different from all the other chickens, with his bright red comb and confident strut. Alex was smitten and couldn't resist flying down to meet Dave. They quickly became inseparable, spending their days exploring the meadow and sharing stories.
1: Alex, what do you think? I, I think this one's AI-generated as well. This one is harder, but I think this one's AI-generated as well. Okay, Elizabeth?
3: AI.
7: Okay, Brock? AI. Okay, I like the consensus here. Very cool. Let's move on. Let's move on to Elmer. He's a good one. I, I named him myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Despite their differences, Alex and Dave fell deeply in love, proving that love knows no bounds. As the days grew shorter and the air grew colder, Alex knew that it was time for him to fly away for the winter. The thought of leaving Dave behind filled him with sadness, and he found it hard to say goodbye.
7: Hmm, this is a hard one. Alex?
1: I, I, I'm going to go uh human, just because I love Elmer's voice, so I, I just okay. want to have a conversation with Elmer. We can't fault you for that, Elizabeth.
3: I'm going to go AI.
1: Okay, and Brock? For the
11: exact same reasons as Alex, I really hope it's a human voice because I want to talk to him. <laughs> okay, let's let's move on to Brittany, everybody.
5: As he flew, he thought of Dave and the memories they had shared, and he knew that their love would keep them together even when they were miles apart.
1: Mm, Alex, well, that's a that's a quicker one uh i i'm i'm leaning ai again um yeah okay. i'm I'm gonna go ai i want to say there's more humans out there but uh i i'm thinking ai final answer you're sure yep okay elizabeth
3: i'm fence sitting but i'm gonna i'm gonna go ai as well
7: okay brock i'm gonna go human oh look at you change, changing the way he goes okay <laughs> uh number five anna
8: Dave understood that Alex had to go, but promised to wait for him until he returned. With a heavy heart, Alex spread his wings and took to the sky, leaving behind the meadow and the love of his life.
1: Mm, Alex? I, I think this one's human. Okay. Elizabeth? Human. Okay. Brock?
11: I'm going to be the difference again. I'm going
3: to say AI. <laughs> oh, Brock.
7: <laughs> okay, we've got one more, and this one uh, is Nellie. Let's take a listen.
12: As the winter months passed, Alex never forgot about Dave. He longed for the warmth of the sun and the sweet smell of the meadow. Finally, the first signs of spring appeared, and Alex knew it was time to return home. He flew as fast as he could, his heart beating with excitement.
1: Okay, Okay, Alex. okay. okay. Uh, I'm going to go human uh, for the last one. And it's just a, a, a lovely, lovely end to the story. I, I appreciate that story. I'm going human. <laughs> Elizabeth?
3: I'm also going to go human.
7: Okay, and Brock? Clean sweep human. Wow, clean sweep human. Now, this is the fun part of the game where I actually give you the answers. And okay. the answers are, are quite simple. So, Jason, number one, Alex, you said AI, Brock Elizabeth said human. That was AI. Uh, number two, Cindy, you all said AI. You were all correct. It was nice. definitely AI. Elmer, sorry, Alex, sorry, Brock, but yeah. uh, Elmer was AI. Elizabeth Ooh. got that one right. Woo-hoo. Now, now, Brittany uh, there, uh, actually goes by the name Wendy. She's my wife. <laughs> she is not AI as far as I know. Um, so uh, Brock <laughs> won that one <laughs> thanks to wanting to be different. Anna, uh human so alex and elizabeth got that when brocky wanted to go different but you know what you shouldn't have, you should have listened to your friends and the final one you all said human right yes you were all yeah. wrong Ooh, that was a okay. i so you know as you can tell clearly this technology is getting a little bit better than it was even just a year ago to the point that it's almost indistinguishable at times um so yeah it's it's it, this is this is why we play these games i'm curious what you guys at home thought about that one as well
1: mm-hmm. yeah and definitely the be sure to leave a comment or uh post <laughs> on our facebook or other socials that mark thank you so much this was such a fascinating exercise because you you start to kind of try to identify and, and pick apart like well what what does what is the cadence like what what about the yeah. the tone and the inflection points and things like that the fact that none of us were 100% accurate it clearly shows that it is essentially indistinguishable. There may be certain kind of um, uh, voices or, or generated uh, uh, lines that may kind of sound or, or raise a an, an, uh, flag in our, our minds. But overall, I mean, it's pretty seamless. So thank you for, for uh, putting this together for us and have that yourself much. a wonderful day.
7: Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everybody.
1: And Elizabeth Moeller, thank you for chiming in and, and being a part of this. Uh, we'll chat with you in the roundtable. Sounds good. And Brock Richardson, thank you so much for taking a bit of extra time and, and joining in on the fun. Have yourself a wonderful day. You as well. And so Mark Marcofalo, he was a part of Access Tech Live, which is airing today at noon. And you can catch that on AMI-tv Thursdays. Coming up, oh, but before we get to the break, we also need to talk about what else is coming up on AMI, and that includes The Pulse this weekend. Juwita Gupta chats with Andrew Leyland about the book A Country of the Blind, a memoir at the end of sight. That's The Pulse weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, and you can also catch the podcast, on all major platforms, as well as YouTube. Coming up after the break, the Marvels dropped on Disney Plus this month. It is the 33rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Have audiences reached the point of genre fatigue? Entertainment critic Michael McNeely weighs in with his thoughts. And before we get to that, here's the Parisport update with Nathan Clement. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
4: Welcome back to the Paris Part Update, produced in collaboration with the Canadian Paralympic Committee. I'm Nathan Clement. Scandinavia was the backdrop for the second installment of the FIS Paris Snowboard World Cup season, and it was a great week for Canada's snowboard cross contingent. The Canucks won three races in Pia, Finland. Beijing 2022 Paralympic Champion Tyler Turner won in the Lower Limb 1 World Cup category. In the Europa Cup races, a part of the race week. Alex Bassey claimed victory in the LL2 and Chase Nicklin won the LL1. From Europe's north, we head back home as preparation reaches a critical stage for Canada's wheelchair rugby team. With just over a month until the 2024 Paralympic Qualification Tournament in New Zealand, the 12-person team brings together the same squad that claimed silver at the 2023 Am Games. Headlined by Zach Medell, Trevor Hirschfield, Mike Whitehead and more took part in a prep camp in Toronto to open February. Leading the next month's tournament, Canada will draw in Group B and face off against Brazil, the Netherlands, and New Zealand. The qualification tournament offers three spots to fill out the eight teams who will be taking to the courts in the Paris Paralympics this summer. That's our time for this edition of the Paris Sport Update presented by AMI-audio. Check back next week for more news from the world of adapted sports.
1: Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, in for Dave. The Marbles dropped on Disney Plus this month. It is a sequel to the 2019 film Captain Marvel. It is also a continuation of the television miniseries Miss Marvel. And it also happens to be the 33rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of movies. Have audiences reached genre fatigue though Michael McNeely has some thoughts but before I welcome him in let's take a a look at the clip from the trailer Captain
6: Marvel the annihilator
9: Carol Danvers flies to a city
6: took everything from me and now I'm returning the favor.
9: Her opponent puts on a bracer and hits it with a staff. Energy beams out. At home, Kamala Khan eyes her glowing wrist. In space, Monica Rambeau investigates an energy barrier. Light bursts from their wrists, sending them all tumbling. What is happening to me? The Marvels meet with Nick Fury in New York City.
12: She's entangled our light-based powers, so we switch places whenever we use them. Strong theory. You can absorb light... I can see it. And Kamala... Who's Kamala? Hi. She can turn light into physical matter, which I have never heard of. I could totally show you.
1: Kamala vanishes. Carol hits a table. That was a clip from the trailer of The Marvels. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely has some thoughts to share. He is in studio alongside his intervener, Jillian. Hello, Michael. How are you doing today? How are you doing? It's a marvel to be here. It is a marvel to be here. Now... Within the intro, I literally just had, I name-dropped Marvel or Marvels four times. That's kind of an indicator that there's a lot happening, and it can be a bit confusing. What were you able to gather
10: from this movie? Oh, my goodness, where is we start? I had a little laugh when you said that this was the 33rd movie, because can you imagine if Rocky made it to 33 times? Or- if Die Hard made it to Die Hard 33, I think we would all be losing our collective minds. But alas, here we are with this film. And so, my understanding, and you can correct me if I am wrong, is um, there's three women. There's Kamala Khan, there's Monica Rambeau, and there's Carol Danvers, who is Captain Marvel. Um, they don't know each other yet, except Monica and Carol. Um but what happens is that Kamala has a bangle and apparently, you know, um there's a jump point. There's lots of jump points. I and mean, whenever there was a jump point, the energy caused the bangle to erupt or something to the effect. And they switch places just because of this energy field. And then there's a bad woman who wants the bangle and energy field and the reason why I'm doing this on purpose is to show you how convoluted this plot has gotten.
1: And the thing is, you have not been following the the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, uh, throughout its uh, kind of development and release uh, over the 33 movies. I've been a bit more kind of up to date. I've seen all or almost all of the movies and some of the TV series, but you had to go and do some research and kind of get up to speed with what has happened. Did the research help, or did it make things more confusing for you?
10: Well, it's interesting, because there's are characters that a lot of people don't know about. They don't have the same currency as Spider-Man, for example. Um, Captain Marvel was starting to be more popular ever since Brie Larson took the war, and then people started understanding the history behind that. Miss um, Marvel is a delight, played, um, played by a wonderful actor, and— highlighting Pakistani heritage, and so that was a long time needing to come. Um, And Monica Wambu was very good in one division. But it's just a matter of watching all these other properties in order to understand what's happening here, and the fact that there's three different characters with their own three different, you know, legacies behind them. It just gets a little bit hard because at least with the Avengers, people knew who the Incredible Hulk was, they knew who Spider-Man was, they knew Tony Stark. Um, But with these this kind of mini Avengers reunion, if you will, I think not a lot of people knew about these characters, and that's part of the reason why it's so important to get to know them, but also challenging to understand where they're coming from.
1: Now, in watching this film, you had some ideas about how the MCU could make their content more accessible. What what came to mind for you? What would you recommend?
10: I just want to say that I remember the actor who plays Ms. Marvel is man Ny, and the actor who played Monica Rambeau is Tiona Pierce. Um, I think for uh, to make it more accessible, I think it would help if everyone was on the same page without necessarily using one time from the movie because I think you need one time from the movie to start to establish new things. So what I noticed in this film, the marvels is that there's a lot of info dumps and so a lot of exposition. Sometimes that exposition may not be accessible to people who want to already have the information before they start the film. So what I'm thinking about is maybe an accessible hotline that you could get the information you need, just like we used to get answers from video games back in the 90s, or just a strategy guide that will help us get up to speed, I think the longer that this goes on, the more I'll be asking you, oh, have you seen the 20th film? Have you seen the 25th film? Have you seen that TV show? And I think, you know, it's hard to have a conversation with other people without assuming at least that they have seen something that you have seen. But then if they haven't, then the conversation's not going to be successful in the first place. Yeah, and so— as, as I mentioned
1: you know this is the 33rd film in this cinematic universe this franchise of Marvel Comics you have kind of not really been exposed to a lot of it I have seen almost or or uh, all of the movies most of the the TV shows I really kind of got into it I'm I'm starting to to fade a bit but like what do you think when it comes to 33 films is that is it to the point where it's, the, the fans just keep wanting more and more, or is genre fatigue starting to set in here?
10: Well, I mean, I've, I've felt the fatigue ever since the fifth one. But um, the trouble is, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have so many characters, and you want to tell stories about those characters, like Captain Marvel, go for it. But the problem is, if it's dark, there's this thing that they all have to buy into, so if you don't buy into that, then your movie is a standalone. And people are like, oh, whatever, that's not that important. So you have these mess of webs, I guess, if you want to talk about Spider-Man. You have all these interconnected things. I think, you know, it would have been nice to just start from scratch, start from— I can still use the same characters, but don't have them in some sort of MCU. But I think at this point, it's sort of— it's Taiwan, so I feel like we've we've you know saturated the market. But as long as people keep going, they to, to keep making these movies.
1: Well, and it's also uh, something as well is that the it seems like the 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 box office returns is also starting to kind of wane and dip. The reviews are starting to wane and dip, and there, there's a lot of different factors to that, obviously. But you know, from where Endgame and and, and Infinity War and those those big temples at the end of that very First long cycle has uh, went to now. It kind of showing like maybe there is a trend that there, the fatigue is setting in. So, but let's let's look a bit on on the positive sides. Like you feel there's still some sort of positives to this. Like what what do you appreciate about the the Marvel productions overall?
10: I appreciate that with um with Marvel the TV show we got probably the first time in superhero history. Well, boy, was rescued from a mosque by Ms. Marvel, so we got the word mosque in there. That cannot be overstated, because we have no Muslim representation at all up to this point. Um, So if we start talking about superheroes and we start saying they are diverse aspects, I'm all for it, enough to see more superheroes with disabilities as anybody within this station. And we're not just talking daredevil. We do love a daredevil, but we like more. Um, so I think with something like the marvels, it's three women coming together. And you know what, spoiler alert, they're not killed. Um, and that's something that's especially after Scarlett Johansson's character was killed, people were wondering what's, what does it mean to be a woman? In the MCU, doesn't mean you're just going to do this great big sacrifice because nobody can really write a compelling character. Like, so, this is good. It's, it's a little bit too late sometimes, because the first wave of the MCU was mostly men, mostly white men. And Gwyneth Poto, who had no idea what was going on, if you watch her interviews, she doesn't even understand what the MCU is, but that's perfectly fine. She's an actor. This is a job. Um, but going forward, more people, more diversity is always a great thing, especially in these, you know, bus office.
1: Well, and and uh, I know we we've talked on this show before about the uh, the, the the Marvel series Echo, which is uh, profiling uh, a a character who has a limb difference and then also has uh, uh, hearing loss as well, and and authentic casting has been put into it. You know, so they are taking those steps, which are positive. But that said, the the the, the uh, film uh, uh, process turns on more and more movies are getting released. Madam Web just dropped, you know, it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight or, or slowing down of the development of Marvel properties. How much longer do you think this genre can sustain itself and be still popular, be a money maker for the studios?
10: The third thing about Madam Webb is that, since I last checked, it's 14 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, making it the worst MCU movie yet. Um and there's not really much more to say about that. It's just that is also part of the problem too, because Madam Webb is also a movie featuring women and that's great, but it's also reaching a saturation point. Because of the, what they did is they thought, Okay, we had the male adventures. Now we'll do the female adventures. And we we'll start shoo hooing and everything in that direction. But uh it's that's very it's I can honestly say that, you know, we haven't had anything like this in entertainment history. There's no—there's no behemoth that is 32 movies long and 32 TV shows long. The, the DCU doesn't even come close. Um, and on top of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's starting to build a Spider-Man Cinematic Universe. And it's like, OK, can we just—can we just—can I just go back to my independent movies and I'll go back to my my French cooking shows? <laughs> Whatever it is.
1: Well, at, at the end of the day, this is a uh, film review, so would you recommend the Marvels to somebody?
10: I wouldn't m- recommend the Marvels, but I would recommend Captain Marvel to start as your entry point. I think what's interesting about the MCU is you can have many different entry points at many different times. So, obviously, they could start right at the very beginning, but that's going to be intimidating for anybody. So, I think with Captain Marvel— It was hilarious. I just loved Captain Marvel. I just um, love—I love the jokes that that Brie Larson has with Samuel Jackson, And I love that cat that eats things and does more of that cat. So, if you like the cat, you can watch the Marvels. But really, you have to get in somewhere. You have to get into the gate. The Marvels is not a gate. It's not an entry point. It's a point where it's established that you should have some knowledge. And I think Captain Marvel could at least give you some of that knowledge of that whole thing. I also recommend WandaVision. I think WandaVision is just a wonderful uh, send-up of television shows. And it shows that there could still be some, some creativity in M.C. But then when you get to the Marvels, it's kind of like it's a little bit watered down. And it's sort of like a generic film. And so in a way, it's kind of forgettable. But... If you're already interested in the MCU, then you wouldn't like it. If you're not, then you wouldn't like it.
1: Fair enough. Michael, thank you so much for for this review and doing some homework on the MCU. I really appreciate it. Have yourself a wonderful
10: day. And I guess I'll be seeing you when we do a 66th Marvel film.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. That is Michael McNeely, entertainment critic, who has joined his studio with his intervener, Jillian. The Marvels is available to stream on Disney+. Plus. It is rated PG. Coming up after the break, would you consider interacting with a chatbot as a friend or romantic partner? Elizabeth Mueller posts this question to the round table. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI.
0: Remember there's always a lot of ways that you can get in touch with the show. Social media, that's on your phone, that's on your computer, you should be able to handle that one at accessible media on X. At accessible media on X, you can tag the company, you can write right at us, you can respond to X's can't call them tweets anymore. You can respond to X's. You can also chime in via TikTok. Maybe you want to record a video. That's a lot of fun too. At Accessible Media is the point of contact on TikTok. Then of course there's Facebook. At Accessible Media Inc. At Accessible Media Inc. On Facebook. And that's the same point of contact for Instagram too. At Accessible Media Inc. At Accessible Media Inc. On the gram. Then if you want to be a little more old school. Well, maybe it's middle school when you talk about email. That's feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca is the email address. Now, maybe you want to make Alexander Graham Bell super happy and pick up the phone and give the show a ring-a-ding-a-ding-in. 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. If you go with the phone route, though, please give us permission to play your message on the air. I don't care what you have to say, so long as you say it to me, we've got thick skin, so let your voice be heard.
1: Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, I'm Alex Smythe here. There is no Ramya Muthun today, but that doesn't mean you can't find out what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya. What are some of the common kitchen mistakes and how do you correct them? Mary Mammolini will give you the tips. And then on Curious Minds with Christine Malik, she explains what an aqueduct is and why they were important. Plus, Michael Fair tells you about a BBC radio show which explores the intersection of technology and supernatural strangeness. Kelly and Ramya airs 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI TV, But now it is time for the roundtable. So I am privileged to be joined by Nisreen abdel in studio. Hello, Nisreen.
12: Hi, it's great to be here.
1: It's great to have you. And let's welcome back in Elizabeth Moeller. Elizabeth, you have a fascinating topic for our roundtable discussion.
3: I did. I uh, I thought, you know, Valentine's Day was yesterday and we've talked a lot today about AI on the show. So I thought I would kind of continue with that theme and thread because more and more folks are forming friendships and even romantic relationships with chatbots, AI chatbots. And these companion bots come with features like voice calls, pictures, and even emotional exchanges. And that helps them form deeper connections with the human on the other end of the screen. So, you know, so many users are saying they've actually used these bots to cope with loneliness and to have friends. So I'm going to put something out to our round table, me, Elizabeth in person, not Elizabeth, the chat bot. Would you consider using an AI chatbot for friendship or even romantic interaction or connection? Nizreen, I'm going to start with you.
12: I don't see myself doing that. Um, I can see why people are forming relationships and friendships. You know, using AI, it can improve mental health, you can cope with loneliness, you have someone to talk to with no judgment. I mean, there's, there's some pros to that. I can see that there's a lot of cons to this, because um, I feel like it's driving people to have unrealistic expectations. You're not having real conversations. It's more of an illusion, and it, it can drive people to, you know, have— a lot of unrealistic expectations. Um, but there is a good thing that you can do to uh, have a dating simulator. You can practice dating on AI. So that I can see why people would be using that. I just, I feel like people would cross the line when it comes to that.
1: Well, and it, it also kind of, uh, there is that artificial nature to it as well. As you, you mentioned, it's like, this is not, going to be real, but it can serve a purpose for those in need. This was something that uh, Kevin Shaw brought uh, uh, to a conversation with Dave in in the past. And I think, as you say, Nizarin, the, the idea of using it as a simulator to help maybe uh, folks, maybe if they have social anxiety, maybe mm-hmm. if, if they don't know how to approach certain uh, situations socially, this could be a great tool to help them practice, rehearse, kind of uh, test how different types of interactions would work or be perceived. I I just don't know especially in the where things are currently. I don't even think it's really all that convincing as a full-on simulator yeah. whether it's, it would be a romantic relationship or even a truly um, like engaging social uh, relationship. but uh, Elizabeth, you posed a question what, what do you think what where do you uh, uh, land on this?
3: Yeah, I mean, not so much for friends and romantic relationships, but I'm already using chatbots quite a bit in terms of like, if you order um, online, that usually that first point of contact is a chatbot. So, I mean, I think sometimes even myself, I have a hard time knowing, is this is this a real person? Um, unless it comes up and says chatbot. Um, I think for me, I would try it. I was very fascinated with the movie, you know, Ex Machina or her um, examples of where people sort of took ai too far but i think i would try it with the expectation and with the caveat that um this isn't so much filling a need for me it's sort of i'm i'm experimenting i'm playing around with something i think it's interesting i i really like the point that was brought up about sort of social anxiety um i think there's enough, for me, there's enough ways that we can interact, whether it's digitally or in person with, with humans, that I, I don't see this as a need in, in my life that I would need to fill. I think that I also sort of caution around sort of the safety piece of this and maybe an over-reliance on technology and bots. But yeah, I think for, for me, I would try it as an experiment, but sort of knowing that it's a, an experiment.
1: Well, so you, you mentioned about the safety aspect. I, I think it's a interesting little caveat to, to a wrinkle to throw into it because it's all fine and dandy until your your AI chat bot starts asking for for gifts and, and money and mm-hmm. other things, and then you're like, uh, where is this actually going? What's what's going on here? Um, but again, like you can always kind of get really into the weeds. You can look. It's like, oh, this is going to go too far. This is scary new technology. If we keep it in context, if we value it as, OK, this could be an effective tool for those in need, I see that there can be an overall benefit. OK, we're we're almost out of time, but I want to I want to find out if you had to have an A.I. chatbot friend, what would you name them? Nisreen, you're in the hot seat first.
12: Mm. Body. There you go.
1: Body, the AI <laughs> chatbot. Elizabeth, what about yourself?
3: I'm gonna say I'm gonna take the name of my favorite movie, Ex Machina, that would be my chatbot's name, Love or maybe it. Ava from the movie.
1: There you go. See, but that's already, I, I think that's a bit already close to what we have, in other uh, uh, like voice assistant, another uh, tech assistant. I think I would go with Buddy because Buddy would never buddy. do me wrong, right? I, I can trust Buddy. but
3: Buddy Buddy. All buddy right, buddy. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, that is all the time we have on the show today. Elizabeth, thank you so much for bringing this topic forward. Have yourself a wonderful day. You're
3: welcome.
12: You as well.
1: And Nisreen, thank you for joining me in studio today. I really do appreciate it.
12: Thank you so much.
1: Okay. And so for you at home, we'll be back tomorrow. It is Friday. So we have the now news panel assembling. Joita Gupta, Michelle McQuigge, and myself will tackle the top news stories of the day. But I want to thank all the guests we had on today. And for you at home, enjoy yourself. Stay safe and chat with you tomorrow. Take care.
0: Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv.